Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome this morning. Excited that you're here. If I haven't met you, my name is Josh, and my wife Katie and I are the lead pastors here at Banner. Man, before we, we jump into really talking about the gift of hope of today, I really want to recognize uh, someone who has put in an amazing amount of time and, and a team that's done an incredible job, and that is uh, Pastor Gillian Barry and our worship team, and all of our worship volunteers who have done such an incredible job, and man, we had such an incredible Christmas Eve service, and it was so beautiful, and they put in all that work, and they're here during the week, so I just, I really appreciate all that you do, and we appreciate all that you do, and all that your team does, amazing, our tech team, our incredible tech volunteers, and everyone here. But this morning, I want to talk about that gift. Nothing hit home more than the brainy putty going to live in the carpet for me. Uh, uh, <laughs> Christmas is, is a time for gifts, and we've been talking about the gift and the gift of Christmas. I, I love giving gifts. I love thinking about people. I love planning. I love preparing. I love trying to find the thing that I believe someone will really enjoy and love. And I enjoy seeing people open the gift and seeing uh, their reaction. This morning, we woke up, and my son woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, so he was ready right away to open gifts. And so this is our first year with... uh, uh, a, a chimney, which isn't common in Arizona, and so he like fully believed Santa came down that chimney. He was very concerned last night when we had a fire going, and I said, "Don't worry, he'll blow it out." Some of you are like, "You're," yeah. whatever. I was like, "He'll blow it out. Hook him shooting down there. It'll be fine." Uh, <laughs> uh, but my kids love gifts, and I love getting my kids gifts. I love getting my wife gifts. My wife is like like the easiest person to get gifts for because she loves everything you get her, right? You know, these people, it's like, they just like anything. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. You're like, really? Uh, All right, awesome. But she's an incredible uh, gift receiver. So it makes me feel like I'm a good gift giver. So I might not be a great gift giver. I might just be surrounded by good gift receivers. And you know what? That's fine with me. I'll take that on Christmas. Uh, But I gotta say, As much as I feel like I'm a good gift giver, I I have to admit something to you this morning, is that God is greater than me infinitely in giving gifts. That just like God is greater than me in every way, I believe he is greater than me at giving gifts. God is a generous giver. You might not know that, but God really gives good gifts. Katie, could you hand me that coffee? Is there coffee in there? Thank you. I know this is yours, but can I have it? <laughs> Look at that. But God's better. Come on, Katie. <laughs> God is a generous giver. You might not know this, but um, just like my wife gives good gifts, God gives good gifts. And today is Christmas. It's a day of presents. It's a day of family and togetherness. And all that is great. But the reason for today, the reason for this morning, the reason for the celebration is because God gave us a gift. Today we celebrate because God gave us the greatest gift ever that was Jesus Christ. 
And before Jesus was born, the Spirit prophesied through Isaiah. And the prophet said in the Old Testament, I want to read to you today from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And in fact, if you want to open your Bible, feel free. Uh, open to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to spend our time looking at this verse this morning. And it says, it says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 2,000 years ago, God gave Jesus as a gift. Isn't that incredible? If you're writing down notes, I always encourage you. That helps our short-term memory. I want to encourage you to retain this thought today, is that Jesus came as God's gift. Let's go back to Isaiah 9. Here's what the prophet says. It says, For to us a child is born. He says, To us a son is given. He was given to who? To us. Who's us? It's you and I. Jesus was given for and to you and I. He is a gift for you. He is a gift for me. And maybe, maybe you've never thought of Jesus that way. Maybe you've never thought of God as a giver. You've never thought of Jesus as a gift. And you're like, wait, he's a, he's a gift for me? Are you, are you sure? Yes, I am positive. In fact, the New Testament calls Jesus a gift over 40 times. It says he's a gift. He's a gift. He's a gift. The Bible seems confident that he's a gift. I think you can be confident that he's a gift. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Your Bible might say, indescribable gift. Jesus is a gift, but he's not just wrapped up in a, in a tiny bow. He's an indescribable and inexpressible gift. In 1948, a man named Frederick, Frederick Lehman wrote a hymn called The Love of God. And he had lost his business and he had gone to packing lemons and picking lemons and packing them. And while they were on a break from packing, he took one of the scraps of paper. And on it, after he had suffered and had walked through difficulty, he was writing hymns to God amidst the packing plant for the lemons. And on that piece of paper, he wrote this. He wrote, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man ascribed by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The gift of Jesus is so great that we can't even put into words and fully surmise how great it is. If we had a thousand years, if your lifetime was a thousand years on earth that you spent every day of your life trying to sum up how incredible the gift of Jesus was and is, you would only scratch the surface. If you had 10,000 years and 100,000 years to live on and on, and if you had all the poetic ability and you had Robert Frost and, and this, this poetry, and if you had the psalm ability of David and you could write through, you would still just barely begin to scratch the surface and barely begin even to, to put into human vocabulary what an indescribable 
unspeakable and what an inexpressible and what an extravagant and beautiful gift Jesus is. Someday we're going to spend an eternity as believers in heaven and you're going to be for thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years and even then, even in the fullness of God, I believe we're still going to be in awe and be overwhelmed by the inexpressible beauty of the gift that is Jesus Christ. But you know what I love about God? As grand as that is, as indescribable as Jesus is, God has expressed it in a way that is so simple that every human can understand it. As magnificent, as incredible, as wonderful as it is, as indescribable, as generational crossing, as future uh, uh, believing as it is, it is also able to be brought down to every person, to every human being, every one of us here this morning, that God wants to speak into your life and into your heart and to explain and to reveal to you the beauty of the gift that he's given you. Jesus tells us in probably one of the most common and famous Bible verses in John 3.16. You used to see it in sports games all the time. Right? It's like some guy would have a John 3.16 sign. It was like to the point that nobody knew what it meant, but they're like, we got to make our John, John 3.16 uh, sign. I, uh, you know, the, I don't think I've seen one in years, but the NFL's changed. I don't know. <laughs> But it's a common verse, but I want to I read it. You might have seen it on sports or events or posters. I want to read it to you because I think it's important today. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved who? Who did God love? He loved the world, you and me, that's us. For God so loved you... That he loved you so much that he gave all of his one and only son. Right? That's the message of Christmas. God loved, so he gave. Is that not Christmas? Is that not why we give presents? Christmas is not about just us giving, receiving material goods. It's he loved, so he gave. For God so loved that he gave his son. Jesus is God's gift to you. What did Jesus come to do? If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus came to lift your burdens. In Isaiah 9, 6, if you're still there, just look at that scripture again. It says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's a really interesting phrase. The government shall be upon his shoulder. I, I don't know if you're into politics. I'm into politics. I don't know if it feels like the government is on his shoulder. Well, we're not Israel, so it's not. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. I could be out of touch. I don't know. So it's like, what does that mean? It's like, do we feel like, yeah, we feel like, yeah, it's, everything's going great. I, you know, like this, is this like a really political church? No. He's talking about something really big here, something beyond, something grand here. This is not talking about how, how you voted in the election. He's talking about something kingdom-minded here because he's recognizing a couple things. The first thing he's recognizing, half of you just freaked out like it was about to get really political. You're like, no, I walked in the wrong church. Don't worry. He's talking about something bigger, bigger than, bigger than, than, than earthly politics. He's talking about kingdom. See, the first is a recognition that Christ will be the universal and eternal king. It's a recognition of what Paul says in Philippians 2 when he says, at, um, 
At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. There's coming a day when every person, Scripture tells us, every person, every man, every woman, every child, will bow at the feet of Jesus and recognize him as the King of Kings. There's coming a day, is what he's talking about, there's coming a day when the authority will be recognized by every person on earth. They will bow at the feet of Jesus that he is the King of Kings. Not only in this life, but the King of Kings for eternity. But what, what the prophet's saying here is he's saying that he's taking the government on his shoulders. He's not just saying that, that God will reign. He's talking about how God will reign, how Christ will reign. What will take place when he reigns? And if you've ever read the Old Testament, there's a lot of promises about what will happen when Christ reigns, when the Messiah reigns. When he reigns, this will happen. This will be broken. This will be free. This will be released. In Isaiah 9, 4, in fact, two verses earlier than where we are right now, he says this promise. He says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. See, this is unique about what the prophet is saying the Messiah will do. See, throughout history, kings place burdens on their people. And as a king, your, your goal was to get as much money from your people as possible without burdening them so much that they went into revolt. That was like your life-work balance. And if you got too many dudes who could go into revolt, you'd, pick, you'd start a war with somebody else, cut down on the amount of dudes, right, and get you some more gold, right? That's kind of global politics even now, right? <laughs> And so the, the, the king and the idea of a king wasn't always necessarily uh, an earthly positive example, right? There was a sense of burdens being laid on them, but Jesus is not a king that lays a burden on. He's the king that's come to lift a burden off, to break the burden, to break the oppression, to release. Whatever you are facing today, there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, a King of kings, a God who cares about you and invites you to not only have your burdens released, but to take your burdens and to cast them onto him. Right? It's kind of like when my kids leave a hotel room. They take their luggage and they throw it onto me as if I'm their donkey to carry it to the car, right? Right, they're like, here, take all my baggage. Take all. They just assume I'm going to carry it because I'm their father. Here's the great thing. You can assume Jesus will take it. You can assume that he'll take it from you. He says, take all of your baggage, all of your burdens, all of your weight, and throw it onto me. And you know what? I won't moan. I won't I take that, and I release it. I take that, and I bring freedom, and I bring life. I take that sin to the cross, and I give you freedom. 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why? Because Jesus is a king. He's a gift that came to lift your burden. Not only did Jesus come to lift your burden, Jesus came to meet your deepest needs. God knew exactly what we needed. What's our deepest need? It's not just in the body. It's not just in the moment. It's not just in the finances. It's in the soul. What do we need? We need a Savior. 
and all that a Savior entails. He knew we needed a deliverer. We needed someone to deliver us from sins we could not overcome. So God sent his son Jesus to meet that deepest need. And so when Jesus comes to meet that need for us, he comes with four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just go through those four real quick. You still with me? Amen. First of all, Wonderful Counselor. My mom is a, is a therapist. She's a fantastic therapist. Uh, she uh, was a counselor for, for many years, and I really believe in counseling and, uh, you know, people who, who are helping and helping the mind and mental health. I think all those things are really, really incredible, and I think counsel is good, but the, the term here actually goes beyond that kind of counselor, someone who's offering wisdom. The Hebrew means the source of wisdom itself. In John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Did you catch that? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John is writing to the Greeks, and so he's trying to explain to the Greeks in terms they would understand who this gift of Jesus is. The, the Greeks did not grow up with messianic prophecy. They grew up with their own set of learning and, and background, and so they had a different understanding, and John was trying to teach them, so he uses this term logos, which in the English means word. But it's not just like a word, like a phrase, you know, just, you know, a name or a noun or, or a verb. It, the idea of word is deeper because in Greek philosophy or thought, they believe that the foundation uh, to the universe was a rational reason called logos. Like that was the root of, uh, of the universe. And so if you're a philosopher, you were trying to understand, uh, you know, if you were Plato, you were trying to, to, to walk through and understand how you can better recognize and, and walk through and live out this kind of rational thought and reason that underpinned all of the world. And so John is pointing to something here in that verse when he's talking uh, about Logos that explains to us how he's a counselor, because John is saying that Jesus is the Logos wisdom personified. See, Jesus is not here as the wonderful counselor to help us make sense out of life, but to be the sense of life. Jesus is the sense of life. He is the logic. He is the reason. Without him, we never really truly understand who we are. As somebody who spent years and years and lots of money studying in university, uh, philosophy and philosophers throughout the age, I can tell you there is not a great consensus without God. There is a lot of depression, sorrow, loneliness, confusion, anger, and if not, it's just a nice big old blanket of pride. Without him, we never truly understand why we're here. He is the logos. He is the logic behind it all. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the source of wisdom and life. He's also the mighty God. I love in Hebrew that, that phrase is warrior God. That's a strong image. So I'm not saying that to freak you out if you're scared by that, uh, that picturing of God. But I think I just want to encourage you that God is not on the sideline. Why serve a God who's not strong? Right? Why serve a God who does not have the power to heal, to restore, to renew? Why would you not serve Yahweh who does have the power to heal, to renew? Why not serve Yahweh who has the power to lift up your family? 
And that's what he says is he's a mighty God. Jesus is a knight in shining armor who breaks through the enemy lines that comes into your life. Though you are surrounded by the lies of the enemy and he brings restoration to you. He delivers you. He brings you out into the light, into the light of life. He is undefeated. That's the thing about God. God has never lost a battle. I've lost plenty. God has never lost a battle. Not only is he the mighty God, but he's the everlasting father. I think that's such a beautiful way to describe how God loves us. I understand in saying everlasting father and that word father, and saying that it's a beautiful way to describe us, I understand also that within this room, that not everyone has a great example of an earthly father. And that even if you had a great example of an earthly father, by the nature of them, like, like I am an earthly father, being earthly, they're imperfect. So even if you would say, well, I had a great example of a father, but, right? <laughs> but I think regardless, even if you did not have a good earthly father, I think maybe somewhere in your heart you could describe what a good one should do. A good father would care about you, not be indifferent to your pain or your joy. A good father understands your weakness. A good father loves you anyways. A good father seeks to help you grow in strength and in maturity. That's what a good father does. A good father does not turn his back on you in your time of need, but he draws near to you. When my kids are hurting, they need more of me, not less of me. That's a good father. When I hear my kid crying, I don't run the other way. I go to them. I draw near to them. I embrace them. That is our father. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we're formed, and he remembers that we are dust. That's not meant to bring us down. That's meant to say God knows exactly what we're made of, and he loves us. He loves us. He knows you, and he loves you. And finally, the last one, he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. That's my favorite one. Now, the Western understanding of peace is kind of a little hippie-ish. It's like the absence of conflict, and I get that. Like, I grew up, you know, a big fan of Jimi Hendrix, and, you know, draw peace on your guitar and light it on fire. I thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> it's like the least peaceful way to draw a peace sign is with fire. But it's pretty cool. I'll give him that. Pretty cool. But the Hebrew understanding of peace is shalom. And then the Hebrew understanding of shalom Peace is not the absence of something, but the presence of something. Peace is the presence of God and God's blessing in our life. See, peace is not the absence as if there's never strife, never conflict, never difficulty. That would be to be completely naive of the world we live in. Peace is actually the opposite. It's amidst the difficulty, amidst the trials the presence of God is with us. And because the presence of God is with us, the blessing of his presence is with us. And that blessing engages every part of our life. It's holistic. It's not simply spiritual. 
It's not like God blessing, that's a spiritual blessing. It's a blessing in your whole life. Every part of your life flows through that. Every piece of your life is blessed by his shalom, by his peace. He's the prince of that shalom peace. And that peace begins when our hearts have peace with God. When we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven and a relationship with Jesus is established and that relationship introduces his power into our life. And what happens is it's not outside in. We often think it's outside in. It's inside out because that peace begins to work in every aspect of our life and we begin to be transformed inside out. Sometimes people can be hard on you because the outside's not showing what's happening on the inside. And I just want to encourage someone this morning, don't give up allowing his peace to transform the inside. That's the outside can, will handle itself, and everybody's got their own outside to deal with, and they should be worrying about their own outside, right? right? But it comes in, it transforms us from the inside out, from the inside out. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. The Prince of Peace makes us new from the inside out. He doesn't add to your life. Jesus has not come here to give you another thing to do this morning. He's not come here to give you another task, to give you more anxiety in the world already. He has come to make you new from the inside out. He has come to give you new life. That all of a sudden you begin to see everything with the light of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that's the gospel? Last night we talked about the light of Christ, that Jesus came to be a gift of light to us. I love what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Can I tell you this morning, the gospel has the ability to transform your life. The gift of Jesus is the gift of transformation. And the power of the gospel is new life. It makes us new. That new life is a gift from God. God gave the gift to you. He said, be made new. Be renewed by me. The old is gone. The new has come. Be transformed from the inside out. He came from heaven to earth. He was born in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died for your sins. He rose again and he said, come, be new. Leave behind the old hurt and the old pain. Come, be made new. Live in the peace that comes from me. But can I tell you, it's a gift. You can receive it or you can deny it. But God is not going to force it on anyone. He will not force anyone into a relationship. He will not force anyone into love. And he will not force anyone into eternity with him. You have to receive it, to open your heart to that gift and follow him. Would you stand with me this morning? As you're standing, would you bow your head and close your eyes? This is a moment for you and Jesus. And if you're here and you have never received that gift of Jesus, I want to tell you what happens this morning. For those who would say, yes, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Confess my sins to you. I repent of any wicked way within me, and I say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I recognize that you are Lord and Savior, risen again. If you say... I give you my life. There's hope for your future today and healing for your past. And I believe today that he'll do a miracle in your life right now that you can receive eternal life. So if you're here today with our eyes closed and our head bowed, this is you and him. 
and you say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior, I choose today to receive the gift of the gospel from you and to receive new life. Would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? I want to pray for you today. This morning, so that we can stand in unity with those who raise their hand, I want to invite you all to pray with me. You might have already prayed this, but we want to encourage those who just made that decision. The biggest decision of their life, the first yes to Jesus and following him. So I just want to invite you, would you pray with me? Pray, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I receive your love. I receive your light. I give you my life. I surrender my heart. And I choose today to follow you in your name. Amen. Can we celebrate those who made that decision today? The Lord is good. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.